Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So let me lead off with the question, where in the word are you today? Yesterday we read from Ephesians chapter 2, the opening 10 verses. So I thought, hmm, today, let's pick up at verse 11. Oh yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the unity of the Spirit among the people of God. Paul says to his fellow Christians in Ephesus, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressing uh, in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to one spirit, in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. We are in Christ, one in the Spirit, no longer strangers and aliens, one family, one people, one body, one household. Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. John 17, Paul describes our unity as that um, of a body. Here, he describes it as that of a building. Both Jesus and Paul and, frankly, John, use the word peace to describe how we are called to live with one another in mutual affection, interdependence, unassailable joy in the midst of this experience of being marked by difficulty in the world. So among fellow Christians, Paul points out here that um, the differences of being Jew or Greek, raised in a religious way or raised in paganism, 
whether male or female, slave or free, white or black or brown, American or Central American, Asian, African or Islander, those who are in Christ are our brothers and sisters. We are a family. We are a body. We are one people. May this particular passage of Scripture dwell in our hearts today and become our lived reality and our witness, our testimony to the world. Matthew Sorens from World Relief is up next. We'll be right back. Welcoming back Matthew Sorens from World Relief. Um, Matt, welcome back. Glad to be with you, Carmen. So before we um, talk about American foreign policy and refugee caps, I would uh, appreciate you bringing, um, bringing the people who we're talking about into view for us. So when we use the term refugees, who are we talking about and what is their status right now around the world? Yeah, so... I mean, refugees are a huge number of people, something like 26 million globally. So, of course, they don't have one uh, story that's common across all of them. Um, you know, they're from different places, different religious backgrounds, um, and there are different reasons that they have become refugees. But what defines a refugee legally is it's someone who's fled their country because of, of well-founded fear of persecution. So we see that, in, you know, often it's persecution based on one's ethnicity or one's political opinion or one's religion. Um, so, for example, to put a face on this, I, mean, I was uh, inter- interacting yesterday with a, uh, a young woman in Spokane, Washington, who World Relief helped her settle a few years back now. She is from Pakistan. She's a Christian. And um, because she's a Christian, her husband, also a Christian, was actually kidnapped by extremists. Um, he was publishing sort of Christian materials on a website that got him um, kidnapped and tortured. And she escaped, uh, got to Sri Lanka, and after a few years there, the U.S. government uh, verified the details of her case and resettled her to the United States. And so she is safe now. But the challenge is her husband, actually, she, when she fled, she didn't know if he was alive. And eventually they found out he was still alive. He was able to make it to Sri Lanka, and he's now still stuck in Sri Lanka, and they've been waiting for several years hoping and praying to be reunited in Spokane, where they'd both be safe and have the religious freedom that this country offers to people. All right. So that gives us, you know, frankly, uh, it's easier for us to focus on one person than us to focus on 26 million. And so I think that's really helpful. Um, There's a refugee cap in place um, that may or may not be the reason this particular individual cannot come and be reunited with his wife here in the United States. But let's talk about the refugee cap, what it is, and how it is not functioning. Yeah. So under U.S. law, and this goes back to 1980, the president has the authority each year to set a cap, which is to say a maximum number uh, of refugees who will be brought to the United States. These are people who are identified overseas. So, for example, in Sri Lanka, by the U.S. government, sometimes based on referral from the United Nations. They are vetted there. They make sure that they qualify under U.S. law and they're not a threat to anyone. And then they have a a plane ticket booked for them. They actually have to pay that ticket back eventually, but it's arranged for them in coordination with the U.S. State Department. And they arrive in the United States 
Um, but the number of refugees who can access that each year, it's, it's always a small share of the overall. Um, but in normal years, like going back a few years, it would be somewhere around one half to one percent of the world's refugees. And we've always pushed at World Relief that we think it should be closer to one percent. But that would be sort of the U.S. doing our share. Last year, uh, President Trump said it at its lowest level ever at 15,000. So historical comparison in 1980, that ceiling was set at above 230,000. So it's a real decline. Um, and we had sort of presumed, I mean, whatever you think about Joe Biden, we presumed we'd have some significant policy disagreements with him. But on refugees, he said he was going to increase the refugee ceiling. Uh, he said he'd push it up to 125,000. And he clarified shortly after coming into office, well, we'll do that for the first full year I'm in office. But the rest of this year, we're going to put it at 62,500, which seemed reasonable to us at World Relief. That was the proposal of the State Department. And then really inexplicably, it was just radio silence for months. And I think the last time we talked, we were in the midst of that, not really sure when the refugee ceiling increase was coming. The State Department had had consulted with Congress and made the case for this particular number. And then, honestly, President Biden just shocked us last Friday by signing a revised refugee ceiling, changing some of the categories, which was positive, but keeping the number at 15,000 for the year and calling that number justified. And we were taken, we had no idea that was coming. And I mean, there was nothing in anything the president had said in terms of the campaign that would lead us to think that. So it's been extremely disappointing and frustrating to to us at World Relief and to the churches we partner with, but I think most importantly to families like Arouge in Spokane, who, I mean, her, the odds that her husband makes the cut is just a lot slimmer when there's a 15,000 person ceiling as opposed to a 62,500 or 125,000. Um. I think the challenge of having no explanation is, um, I'm sure, part of the deep frustration. Um, and so when we come back, I, wanna, I want you to talk with us about um, how influence is brought to bear in this conversation, um, or if, if that's possible at this point. Um, and then um, what can people do in their local communities to reach out to um, you know, individuals. I mean, it, I, I think it's going to shock people that the refugees have to repay for that plane ticket. Um, I mean, I, I feel confident that we're not requiring people who were putting on airplanes and returning them to Central America. Let's say I feel confident we're not expecting them to repay those plane tickets. I just it's just a, there's some curious parts to this to me that seem um, overly burdensome to people who are fleeing very real persecution um, around the world. And so I just, I just like to examine some of those with you, um, if you'd be willing. Sure. Yeah. So I'm talking with Matthew Sorens from World Relief, and we'll be right back. When You can find World Relief at worldrelief.org. I am talking with Matthew Sorens. He works with churches across the country uh, in their efforts to serve refugees and influence U.S. policy in relationship um, to this conversation. And Matthew, let's um, let's uh, let's keep this family in view here, um, and let's keep their particular separation in view for just a moment, um, because I think that. We can all imagine what it would be like to be separated by half a world from, you know, the person we love best and most. Um, and it, for it to be impossible for them to go back to where we came from um, 
and yet impossible for them to come be where we are now. And so just, you know, I think that, you know, keeping keeping it small helps us see it. Um, How can regular people like me bring influence to bear on this larger subject? And then are there particular parts of the refugee resettlement program that maybe we could focus attention on during, you know, what is sort of a lull in in receiving people? Yeah, I appreciate those questions. You know, I think in terms of bringing influence, the the interesting thing about refugee resettlement, unlike a lot of other policy areas and other immigration policy areas, is the president has really a lot of unilateral authority here, um, which is frankly why I, it didn't occur to me that this that what the president was saying wouldn't happen. You know, when presidents make political campaign speeches, often they forget to mention that Congress might not agree with me on this, or the courts might say this is illegal. But what, on the refugee settlement, the president's authority is really well established and really clear under the law. So this was a political decision as far as we can determine. Um, the, it was based on probably the concern that, well, people are paying attention to the border, which is a wholly separate situation. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. a whole, it's a different part of the government that is primarily responsible there. So we thought that was really a smokescreen, but that made sense to a lot of the American population that doesn't know how the refugee resettlement program works or get the distinction between someone vetted overseas usually years ago and someone who is you know, arriving at the border today. So we think it's really important, and we've been doing everything we can to hold the president accountable to his promise. Um, if he's doing this because he thinks it's not going to be popular with voters, he needs to hear from voters across the political spectrum that actually they're very disappointed with his action here. So we've put up a petition, worldrelief.org slash petition, um, to call on President Biden to keep his promise on refugee resettlement. And really with with women and men like Arouge and her husband Sonny uh, in mind, uh, because for us, that's what motivates us. We know the people who are directly affected when a flight is canceled because there's not the legal authority from the president's signature to allow that flight to go forward. Uh, What I would say is there's still a a small number of refugees arriving now. So there are some volunteer opportunities uh, with resettlement agencies, including World Relief, around the country. And we continue to hope and pray that it won't be too long before we are actually really frantically searching for more volunteers, for more donations, you know, the furniture that we help set up an apartment before a refugee arrives and household items for, frankly, for the financial support that sustains ministries like this, especially when the government is um, sort of inexplicably stepping back. All those things are really helpful right now. And, and then I, you know, I, I don't say this because it's kind of a Christian cop-out, but prayer, I think, is really urgent. And that's mm-hmm. for refugees who, who are directly affected. Also for the president. I mean, whether you voted for him or not, we're pro- called to pray for kings and all those in authority. And the, the president, the secretary of state, um, congressional leaders who don't directly set this, but certainly can influence uh, this, they all need our, our prayers right now for wisdom and, and frankly, for courage. Uh, I'm checking it out right now. I am signing uh, worldrelief.org backslash petition. Uh, keep your promise. Um, that's the that's the header there if you're going to look for that. Um, Matthew, let's um, let's talk about the conflation of issues that you just alluded to. Um, I know that I ask you to do this every time that you're on, and so thank you for your patience. But there's new people listening every time that you and I talk, and sure. so um, and different people listening. I do think that issues at the southern border complicate the conversation because of the conflation, not just in people's minds, but sometimes by the media, um, mm-hmm. of immigration issues with refugee resettlement. So make the distinction again for us. 
yeah. And to be honest, I understand why people are confused. And the the White House has frankly been using that confusion. They've said, well, you know, the Office of Refugee Resettlement is really busy right now dealing with unaccompanied children, which is a true oh. statement. Hey, your microphone, your microphone's coming in and out. So just go back, back up and um, back up and maybe start the start over. Sorry about that. Can you hear me? There now? you go. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, and I, I was saying the White House has actually in, played on the confusion, I think, because they've said, well, the Office of Refugee Resettlement is really busy dealing with unaccompanied children at the border, which is a true statement, but lacking context. And that's this. You would think because of the name that the Office of Refugee Resettlement runs the Refugee Resettlement Program in the United States. That would seem logical. It actually doesn't. It provides some support to refugees after they're already here, but the main funding and the main staffing for processing refugees overseas and bringing them to the United States is actually part of the State Department, not the Department of Health and Human Services, where the Office of Refugee Resettlement is. So it's really a, it's a, it's the, it's not an accurate, um, it's, a, it's not a fair reason to not continue the refugee resettlement process, which is people overseas who are identified by our government overseas, vetted overseas, and then come on an airplane and met at the airport by an organization like World Relief and hopefully by, you know, volunteers from a local church. We think it's really important to care for children at the border well. That's what the law requires. Um, and we've been critical when our government does not follow the law in that regard. But frankly, we can do both as a country. We have times in our history under both Republican and Democratic presidencies when we have done both. And the issues are related in a way con counter to what the president's been suggesting, because actually there, one reason people come to the border to seek asylum, which is to basically make their own way to the U.S. and say, I have the same story as a refugee, is because there is really no hope of them being granted refugee resettlement closer to home. And when we have so decimated the refugee program, and that's not all President Biden's fault, that started obviously under President Trump, but when we've done that, people are not being unreasonable when they think the only hope I have for safety is to get to the U.S. border. Wouldn't it be better if they had a reasonable uh, possibility of having uh, being approved for refugee resettlement closer to home, doing that whole process overseas and coming in a very orderly process on an airplane where we could meet them at the airport? It'd be so much better. And that's basically how the refugee resettlement program works. So it doesn't make sense to minimize refugee resettlement out of uh, some sort of argument that we have to because the border. Yeah, every time you say... Um closer to home, like um, my heart breaks anew because these are people who can't go home. Like I, I, we, I think that listeners need to get that in their, in their hearts and in their mind and in their gut. These are people who can't go home. Um, and so they are homeless. They are nationless. Um, they have a nation of origin, but they cannot return there. They have yeah. to go forward in, into something somewhere. Um, and it would be great if we could be the nation of welcome for, you know, some fair share of these displaced people around the world uh, who by no fault of their own um, have no home to which they can return. No home nation. No. Uh, yeah, it's it's it is heartbreaking. And if our hearts don't break over this, um, then, you know, I got to say we're we got to. We got to check our. We got to have a faith conversation. This has got to be a conversation between us and God because these are my brothers and sisters in many, many cases, and um, my heart breaks uh, for them. And so, thank you, Matthew, for continuing to keep us updated on what's happening. Continue resourcing us at worldrelief.org. Let me encourage people if you're interested, please go sign the petition uh, at worldrelief.org. The uh, 
Uh, the petition is called Keep Your Promise. All right, Matt, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Karen. Absolutely. we got to take a break for Breakpoint. Do you worry? What are you worried about today? How do we help kids deal with worry? All right, we're going to talk about worry birds. What do you do with your worry? That's up next with Joshua Straub. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. The cross is the universal symbol of Christianity. An odd choice, don't you think? Strange that a tool of torture would come to embody a movement of hope. Its design could not be simpler. One beam horizontal, the other vertical. One reaches out like God's love. The other reaches up as does God's holiness. One represents the width of his love. The other, the height of his holiness. The cross is the intersection. The cross is where God forgave his children without lowering his standards. God treated his son as a sinner so that Christ could make us acceptable to God. Why would he? John 3:16 says, For God so loved the world. Aren't you glad the verse doesn't read, For God so loved the rich, the famous, the sober, or the successful? No, it simply reads, For God so loved the world. This is Max Lucado. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run too far to still be the same. All right, Joshua Straub is one of my favorites. He um, he he likes to be uh, celebrated most for his role at home as a husband and a dad. Um, but we're going to go ahead and celebrate him as well um, as an author. Uh, he, along with his wife, Christy, lead Famous at Home, where they equip um, all of us, really, with the kind of emotional intelligence that we need to be healthy people in healthy family systems and even, you know, healthy at places like work. So we have talked uh, with Josh about his book, Safe House, How Emotional Safety is the Key to Raising Kids Who Live, Love, and Lead Well. We have also talked with him about the book he co-authored with Christy, What Am I Feeling?, which helps parents foster emotional awareness in their kids. Um, He and Christy uh, do all kinds of really cool stuff, um, including a podcast and uh, and Facebook Lives and all kinds of great stuff. Um, I would love to talk with him about this that I learned, that he has constructed a karaoke stage in his dining room, but he's really here today to talk about what to do with worry, a brand new book. Josh, welcome back. Hey, thank you so much, Carmen. It's always an honor to be with you. The conversation about the karaoke stage is coming, I'm just warning you, but let's <laughs> start with Willow... <laughs> Because Willow is our worrier who's in view today. So give us a little um, glimpse into what do I do with worry and the character of Willow. Yeah, so Willow is a little girl who moves to a new town. And she, um, in moving to a new town, has lots of worries, uh, as kids do. And kids kids have worries of all kinds. And just like Willow, she's worried about, you know, uh, she, she gets invited to a birthday party. She's out swinging in their new backyard. She meets Sam, who's the main character in What Am I Feeling? And she gets invited to this birthday party. And so her worries start to range from what if his friends don't like me to, um, 
you know, uh, worried about, you know, what's what's the world going to be like with a new house and a new neighborhood and, and all those scary things. And kids have these types of worries, you know, from big worries like, you know, they see their parents argue maybe, you know, will my parents divorce to um, what if a star falls from the sky and hits my house, you know? Uh, like these are, like, there's worries that the kids have. And then, you know, one of the worries that Willow has is what if they have chocolate cake at this birthday party instead of, uh, vanilla cake, <laughs> you know? Um, but, but it's, it's wild because, you know, one of the reasons we wrote this is because we have a, I mean, we did this even before the pandemic hit, you know, we, we, we had, we were storyboarding this book and then the pandemic hit. And, and so kids are carrying around all kinds of worries today. And one of the biggest ones that we want to pay attention to is Willow has a worry. What if my what if my parents think my worries are silly, you know? And so one of the most powerful parts of this is for us as parents to recognize and realize that our kids carry worries, and the the, the most important thing they can do with them is talk about them or get them out. And 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 and, and we as parents um, really are the catalyst to help them do that. And so that's that's the power of this book. Um, and and the and and Willow uh, hangs out with her grandma. And her grandma kind of walks her through this and helps her navigate this. Yeah, I love the um, I love that it's intergenerational. I love that there's neighbors included. I love that, you know, there's a conversation about getting on a school bus. Um, I, I, you know, I love that they have a dog. Like there's just all kinds of places and spaces in here um, to have conversations. Um, the moving to a new town, lots of families experiencing being uh, uprooted and moving in these days and kids experiencing all kinds of uh, all kinds of stress and worry. They have been exposed to all kinds of uh, information and um, uh, and stress in no small measure because we've all been at home, like, right? So things that kids would not have heard or overheard, they have now heard or overheard because we're having Zoom meetings where the audio is on in the environment where our kids are, like, and they're, and they're hearing us discuss news headlines um, in their presence that maybe before we wouldn't have all been together all the time discussing all these things. So I do think that um, for all of the reasons that kids are experiencing increased levels of stress and anxiety in COVID, part of it is we've actually brought more information into their little environments um, because we're all together all the time. Yeah. And, and, and that's where we as parents have to pay attention to the filters and what we're bringing into our home, you know, um, you know, because if you, as a parent, are carrying a spirit of fear, and that, this will get into a whole other conversation. We just recently did a um, podcast series on this where, you know, we asked parents questions, you know, what, what, what are your biggest questions around worry? And most parents, most of the questions we got were about the parents' worry. How do I not, mm. how do I not pass that on to my kids? So we mm. did a parents' edition, and then just today we released a kids' edition. But, you know, because that's, that's, that's one of the big concerns. And I think— Is that the In, in This Together podcast? Um, uh, famous at home podcast. Yeah. Famous, oh, famous at, home. at home. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so, it, you know, it's one of those, um, you know, it's one of those dynamics where we have to pay attention. Are we carrying what, what's the environment of our home uh, with the information that we're bringing in with the music we're listening to with the conversations we're having is, you know, are we fostering a spirit of fear and worry or are we fostering a spirit of peace and, and calm in our home with our kids? And, and what that means for us, it doesn't mean we're not worried. You know, it doesn't mean that we're not carrying stuff ourselves as parents. But the, the, the key is making sure that we're not putting that burden on our kids and that we have another outlet for that and that we're handling that in, in, in an adult way with other adults, uh, with the Lord, um, those types of things. And so um, but with that said, it's also important that we're sitting down with our kids 
because the, the biggest mistake we can make as parents is either to punish, minimize, or dismiss our kids' uh, worry or their or their emotions. And we often do that because we get busy as parents or we're overwhelmed and distracted and we'll we'll minimize and 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 that's why kids oftentimes will think, well, my parents are so worried, they might think my worries are silly. So so mm-hmm. I just won't say them. You know, and, and a child actually feels like they're more of a burden to their parent. Uh, so they don't talk about their stuff. And and we want to make sure we don't do that in our homes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we are talking about the brand new and it's a board book. So let me, you know, let me emphasize that yeah. you know, this is not like it's not like this is a heavy lift. Um, this is this is actually really good at family level conversation. Read it aloud. Uh, use it to teach a kid to read all those kinds of things. What Do I Do With Worry by Josh and Christy Straub. And yes, I have copies to give away. So if you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies we have on hand, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Yes, those of you texting in, we can, you can find the podcast, uh, What Do I Do With Worry Parents Edition and What Do I Do With Worry Kids Edition. It's at on the Famous at Home podcast. You can just Google that. You can visit the Famous at Home website as well. Josh Straub and I will be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with Joshua Straub. You can find him at joshuastraub.com. Famous at Home is the ministry. The book we're talking about today is what do I do with worry? It's really a kid's book, but it's really a family book. So um, let me just say that. All right, Josh, um, talk with us about the birds, because this um, this visual, like I was able to, you, you set a mental hook in my mind in this book um, that helped me understand Matthew chapter six better. And it helped me actually like have a place, a physical place, the hand of God to put my worry bird I love it. It's so empowering. Well, that goes that that credit goes to Christy for for coming up with that image. Uh, she has a little um, desk uh, in her uh, office slash playroom slash homeschooling room uh, that overlooks uh, the bird feeders, and she loves staring out and watching the birds. And we were storyboarding this book and you know putting the things together in it. And she came up with this. She saw the birds and she thought, man like my worries, like she's watching these birds flap all over the, the yard. And she's like, that's what my worries do. Um, and so we created this, this phrase, um, you know, that, uh, you know, just like our worries, uh, when we try to hold worry birds, uh, when we try to hold our worries, uh, they bounce and flap all over our minds, making us feel unsettled inside. And, and that's what happens when we try to hold worry birds is we just feel unsettled inside. We get, you know, our stomach hurts, our you know, our, our, our mind is, is going all over the place. And so how do we release those worry birds? You know, and in Matthew 6, it says, you know, as much as God takes care of the birds of the air, how much more is he taking care of us? And so just this idea that when we release our what ifs to God and every worry starts with a what if, you know, it's like, um, what if uh, the stars fall from the sky? What if a storm hits my house? What if, you know, my uh, Sam's friends don't like me? You know, there's all these what ifs. And so, you know, when we name, name them and we label them, um, it takes the power out of them. And that's what Paul was talking about in Philippians 4 when he says, you know, make your requests with thanksgiving known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And, I, you know, what happens is, is I think as parents in a finite way, we can also 
um, be that peace, be a peace for our kids that calms their brains when they bring their worries to us as a parent. And so it's that, you know, it's that heavenly father, earthly parent role that we get to play kind of thing. It's like, there is a calming effect. And we know this neurobiologically, there's a calming effect on the brain when you name and label what it is you're feeling. The other part of this that I felt was, uh, and I want you to talk about is, because the naming it part is really important for little kids. um, Sometimes that is sort of like best done through, you know, crayons and paper or, you know, or yeah, pencils yeah. and paper. Talk, talk, with, talk with us about the power of inviting a kid to draw. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of times kids can't label stuff yet. Right. And, and even as right. we as adults, I mean, gosh, how horrible are we at labeling emotion? You know, we all need a feelings chart in our refrigerator because mm-hmm. we don't Which talk you about can download. a lot. I saw yes, that I can, can now download, download one for free. Yep. yep. You can download the feelings chart and and but, but how often do we do that? We 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 um we have a very difficult time. We'll say, yeah, I felt like yesterday was a great day. Well, there's no emotion word in there. You know, were you excited? Were you joyful? Were you happy? Were you sad? Were you rejected? Were you jealous? We don't do a good job of that. And so for kids to be able to label their emotion um is really important. But for little kids, they don't have this vocabulary yet. And so what you can do is get your kids to draw a picture. Like you know, and what you'll see is maybe you'll see that your child is drawing themselves um, over on the right side of the page and a group of friends over on the left side of the page. And you can talk to, to your child and say, well, why are you over here and why are your friends over here? Like, what is that about? And and you start to uncover and your child's able to see, so like put a puzzle piece together. It's like putting a puzzle together. And and, and it, the puzzle is is what's going on in your child's inner world. And you're just asking questions to help them navigate that. And it's drawing it out. And and I think that's a really powerful um way to do that and and so our kid we we do that for our kids often so it's drawing your what if and then the 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 second part of that is draw your what if with god with you like what if you showed up brave because so often what we end up doing is we go to the negative when we worry like we worry like you know if his friend if, if if you know what if i get rejected what if his friends don't like me what if you know whereas what if they do like me what if he loves my birthday present i got him what if they do have vanilla, you know, a cake instead of chocolate? What it, you know, and and so it's saying, hey, let's let's look at the positive side of this too. And then there's the gratitude piece, which is a whole other dynamic. But neurobiologically, we know that gratitude and worry cannot coexist in the brain. So when you're grateful and you start to get your kids to uh, keep a gratitude journal or talk about what they're grateful for, um, it it pushes worry out. And so just creating a, a gratitude list in your home is is very powerful. I appreciated that um, everybody, everybody in the story worries like it's not it's not as mm-hmm. if uh, by the time we've grown up, we've have escaped this uh, or we have grown out right. of this. There is this process and that's a huge, important part of this conversation. Um, but it's it's not like we ever completely resolve this. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah. And that's what Willow's grandma does. You know, Willow's grandma is the other character, main character in the book. And she's the guide. She's the one walking willow through the story and helping her navigate her worries and you know she said you know what if um you know uh when when i have worries i talk to someone i love you know i talk to grandpa Mm -hmm. and um you know and then you know and she said you know and i have worries you know what if grandpa gets sick or what if my grandkids uh make bad choices and and willow kicks back and says what if grandpa does get sick you know and um and, and and grandma is able to navigate that in a way to go yeah i can't control these things but what I can control are my worry birds. I can control 
how much they're flapping around in my mind and how much power I give them, or I can control whether I'm releasing them and, and letting them go. And because there are realities in the world, like it's not like every one of our worries, our worries could come true, but mm-hmm. um, you know, how we navigate them and how we handle them and, and, and where we place them from a faith perspective is a very powerful component of that. I'm talking with Dr. Joshua Straub. We are talking about uh, he and Christie's brand new book, What Do I Do With Worry? And yep, we have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing. All right. um, I have to ask uh, two two home questions before we go. I might need to know about your puppy, and I might need to know about the stage in your dining room. Ah, well... (laughs) what we did was a few years ago um, and it's really our kids that kind of navigated this, but we have a karaoke microphone. We've got a piano in there. We've got, uh, you know, some, and we're not musicians, but we, our kids are learning piano and we'll put the Bluetooth uh, speaker on and our kids do dance parties. You know, if you don't have celebration in your life, you know, back in Genesis (laughs) chapter one, you know, God, after every single day, he looked back and saw that it was good. And, um, and so I think, you know, when, when you create something good, we had a little celebration last night for the release of what I do with worry as a family. And it's one of those things where we got to learn to celebrate and having a dance that. party in your house is, and, and you don't use your dining room for anything else. I mean, how often do you use your dining room in a year? There you I go. Mean, let's be honest. So no, it's, like, it's exactly we, right. We, we sold our dining room table in a consignment store and, um, put the money into making a, uh, <laughs> our dining room into something that we would use and make memories in. So that's what it's about. How, how can we be practical and make memories as a family? I totally love that. Okay. So we, um, I think you will like this. So we, we play, uh, games after dinner every night. So we have a card game that we like to play together as a family. And then we, play, and then we play dominoes and then there's one Scrabble fan. So it doesn't take very long to just play one or two rounds of, of any of them. And it gives us a time to, yeah you know, to have another uh, space to, to talk. Well, at some point along the way, um, everybody uh, adopted their own victory song. So now when that person wins, we all have to sing that individual's victory song. So I'm just letting you know that uh, if you need one more new idea, that's a fun one. We are loving that's it. That's a great idea. I'm implementing that. It's so that. much fun. And let me just say that if you, if you, ch- mine is now, um, this is your victory song. It isn't very long. Hey, but other people have like Eye of the Tiger. We have the chicken dance. That's one person's victory <laughs> song. Um, it's really, really fun. So I commend that to you as a, a thing to explore with your kids. We are doing it. We are yeah. totally doing this. This is amazing. Yeah. Yes, we so, will love that. Oh my gosh, our family's going to love it. I had victory in Jesus, but everybody thought that was totally sacrilegious. So they made me give, they made me give it up. I'm just letting you know. All right, I we won love because you. of Jesus. That's exactly right. We love you guys. Um, thank you. Give Christy uh, our affection. Congratulations on the new book. What do I do with worry? Joshua Straub, famous at home. Thank you so much. All right, sing yourself a little victory in Jesus today, right? Uh, Sing your victory song. What is your victory song? We talk about having a life verse. What's your victory song? What's the song that lifts your spirits and reminds you that you not only belong to the Lord, but uh, you're on his side? Um, There's probably a song that right now is rattling about in your mind where you're like, that 
make that brings a smile to my face. That makes me want to um, to stand up and sing. It warms my heart. All right, there you go. That's your little uh, assignment for the day. Identify a victory song. We got a lot going on today. Let us be people who put the worry birds in the hands of the one who can handle those worry birds. That is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, may you be uh, living in him today, walking by faith, step by step, living a life that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am with you in this. Thank you for sharing this time together. If you want to grab the podcast and share it with someone else, you can do so on the Faith Radio app. You can also do so at myfaithradio.com. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.